In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing lessons learned from a church shooting. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the 2017 St. Alphonsus Church shooting. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the news tab. So let's begin in the Bible as we always do. This verse is 1 Peter 3 verse 7 and it reads like this, Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may uh, your prayers be not hindered. Good verse for us today because this is exactly what happened in this shooting in the sense that this was domestic violence spillover. The husband, not honoring his wife, um, actually took, attacked her, killed her. And so we'll get into that here in a minute. Um, before I get started, I just want to remind you, share this video with everybody on your safety team. Share it with other staff and volunteers. And then make sure you go into the comments section and get the weekly notes for this because it's going to give you some bullet points that you can take to church with you and discuss this with other people um, on your team to just kind of keep it. You know, we, we have to keep these things on top of mind, right? And so if we're having regular conversations about different safety and security issues, challenges, things that we face, then we're staying sharp, we're keeping each other start sharp, and we continue to move the ministry forward as we start to discover, hey, we, maybe we can fix this or improve that and uh, just make our uh, ministries better. So make sure you do that. Make sure you get the show notes. So let's get into this a little bit here. Um, it was 8.30 Sunday morning, November 5th, 2017 in Fresno, California. Parishioners waiting for the 9 a.m. Mass at the St. Alphonsus Catholic Church began going in as those attending the 7.30 Mass were leaving. As one couple got into her car, a man who had been waiting approached. He pulled out his 45 caliber handgun and fired at least four shots into the car, hitting each occupant in the head and the torso. The woman died at the scene. Her companion passed away at the hospital. The gunman left for his home only 11 blocks away. On the way home, he began texting his daughter, telling her that he had killed her, the wife, her mother, and that he was going to kill himself. She called police, hoping they would stop his suicide. A SWAT team went to the house. They heard a shot. He had taken his own life with the same weapon he used earlier. As tragic as the incident was, it was overshadowed by the other shooting that happened that day, an hour later, and that was the Southern um, Sutherland, Texas shooting. And so this kind of became the other shooting, and unless you were local, you probably hadn't heard about this shooting at all. Um, so the killer um, was an owner-operator truck driver. He was a U.S. citizen and had property in Mexico. He and his wife lived 11 blocks from the church um, where they were members. The woman in the car, his wife, the wife of the shooter, um, according to the Fresno Bee, she had a number of jobs. 
She and her husband were both in their 60s. They had lived, um, been married for 43 years, had four adult children. For a number of years, um, they had reportedly been separated, but were still living in the same house in separate rooms. The motive was evidently jealousy. Just a week before the shooting, the man expressed sadness and despair on Facebook, picturing himself in a coffin. About that time, his wife told her family and friends that she had a new boyfriend, and uh, he's about 10 years younger. Um, on Tuesday, Halloween, uh, she filed for divorce. On Saturday, before the tragedy, the husband posted that he was sad and he was not as important as he thought he was to other people. And of course, the other man who was shot and killed was the wife's boyfriend. So it's easy to see basically how jealousy rose. They're still living together, though they're separated but living together. And um, now she's dating a new guy and she's filing for divorce. So you can see that this, this was definitely a problem in the making. So the impact is she's killed, the wife is killed, her new boyfriend is killed, and then of course the killer committed suicide. The impact of all this, of course, is this was really, like I said, it was in the shadow of Sutherland Springs. So really, it was only no local news that actually kind of shared this story. And unless you're kind of connected, you may have not even heard of it. Because Sutherland Springs, you know, you had 26, 26 people killed and 20 wounded. You know, um, definitely a larger event and more newsworthy is maybe a way of putting it. Um, based on the media's priority list. Um, but other than that, other than it just kind of being a local thing, as far as we know, it didn't really have, um, you know, much effect on the community other than, you know, obviously the emotional impact. But um, we don't know that the church even even started any new security in their place, you know, got that in place or took any steps at all. Our best research is they went on as, as usual. Now, there could be things happening behind the scenes that we don't know, but for the most part, we have no idea. There's no evidence that they took any steps. In fact, um, there's kind of something interesting that came out of looking at this shooting is the priest decided to go ahead and have that mass, that 9 o'clock mass. And at first I thought, wow, that's kind of crazy. You know, you have an active crime scene in the parking lot of the church. You have people that were, you know, coming out and going in between the two services. And they just drive on as if, almost as if nothing happened. Now, it's my understanding that he, uh, the priest did address the emotional toll and, you know, obviously made mention of it. But... Other than that, they just drove on. It kind of, it, it kind of created an interesting thought for me. Um, there, there could possibly be reasons to go ahead with church. Um, I, th I think it's got to be a case by case basis, right? You know, something could theoretically happen at your church in a back parking lot, or they, you know, in this case, it was the back of the church, in a back parking lot. Um, and in a, in a way, it doesn't necessarily affect the church, maybe. I mean, these were members. I, I, you know, I don't know how. I, I guess ultimately, it's, it's an interesting idea to think about. 
is if there's an event at the church, does that mean everything gets closed for the day? Maybe not. You know, maybe it's something that has to be discussed, and maybe we just have to kind of, I, I guess, if nothing else, you know, take in the um, take in the information, you know, look at the situation in its totality, and then kind of make a decision what's going to be the best action. You know, in this case, it sounds like the priest made the decision based on the fact that people needed comfort. They needed a way of expressing what went on and kind of, you know, changing things a little bit to at least address those strong emotions and those strong feelings. You know, people are there. This is a good time to maybe address that kind of stuff. Or maybe, you know, closing down is the right answer. I guess we just have to think. That's just something to think about. Anyway, so lessons learned. I came away with three different lessons learned. And one of them is I've mentioned many times before, and I know I've kind of you know, I, I hate to beat a dead horse, but I really, really believe that this is an essential way to help mitigate the risks of active shooters. And that is uh, an, a, pro, a proactive prayer and benevolence ministry. In fact, I would even say that churches need to blend those two ministries. We shouldn't have a separate prayer ministry and benevolence ministry. Those things should be blended, right? Because if they need benevolence, they need prayer. If they need prayer, they very likely need benevolence. And it shouldn't be an operation where it's like, okay, you're, you're part of, you sent in a prayer request, so here you are sitting in the prayer request, and they never, that never gets passed on benevolence to someone who could actually help them. So let's say it's a lost job. Maybe they need help dusting off their resume. Maybe they need help you know, filling out applications or even driving around, you know, they might not have a car. Do they need a ride to interviews? You know, there's all these kind of things. If, if their car is broken down, does it need a new starter? Can we put a new starter in it? You know, a lot of that stuff comes in in the prayer side and some things come in the benevolent side and it really needs to, it needs to be, I guess, together. That should be one ministry and that ministry should be proactive, meaning they need to have some sort of calling plan where, and or email plan where they're contacting everybody in the church, all members and guests, on somewhat of a regular basis with one simple question. Do you have any prayer requests? Because when those people say, yeah, you know, I lost my job or we're going through a divorce or I'm going through a child custody issue or whatever is going on, mental illness or addiction, I'm, I'm going into treatment next week, whatever it is, or I, you know, I just found out I have cancer, all that kind of stuff. This is where that prayer ministry is proactive, calling people, contacting people, asking them stuff. And then, of course, Benevolence is taking action. So is it visitation in the hospital or whatever it is, you know, fixing cars, all that kind of stuff. You know, maybe it's gas card, maybe it's groceries, you know, I don't know what it is. Those two things have to be, um, those two things have to be together. And if we're doing that, there's two things that result. Number one, this is active shooter, this is actually active shooter prevention. This is actually meeting people in their distress, in their crisis, the best we possibly can, and then helping them the best we possibly can. And then, of course, we're giving them less reason to go off the rails, right? If you lost your job and also got sick at the same time and, 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 and all this stuff is going on and you're in a position where you could be radicalized and become violent, um, 
and your focus could be the church, but at the same time, they're calling you and help, giving you real help and all that kind of stuff, the chances of you becoming violent decreases significantly. The second thing it does is this, is it gives the safety ministry a little heads up on what's going on in the church. Now, what I think should happen is this, is I understand, okay, we don't want to be gossips. I get that. Pastor confidentiality, I get that. No problem. I have no problem with those two things. I think pastor confidentiality is extremely important. But what about giving a briefing to the safety director um, by type, by request? And so what you do is this, is you say, okay, we have a divorce going on. There's a custody battle involved. Um, we have another person that lost their job and they're afraid of losing their home. We have another person that is struggling with addiction and we continue to pray for them, their family, you know, we, you know, their family member to somebody or whatever. And that's all that needs to be said. Now what can happen is the safety director can ask a couple of questions. And the question simply is this. If it, let's say it's a divorce, as an example, you could ask the person telling you, maybe it's the pastor or the leader of the prayer ministry, how civil is the divorce going? How civil is it? You know, on a scale from one to five. If it's super civil, you know, it's five. It's just going to be something that's done and there's not any potential for violence. Great. But if it, the civility is very low, now it's like, okay, we need to, uh, we need to prepare for this. The other thing too, another way of asking that question, depending on the situation, let's say it's a lost job or a medical situation, you know, how optimistic are they about recovery or about the future? If it's super grim and super low, now that escalates our risk level. But if they're super optimistic and say, yeah, I lost my job, but I'm believing in God and I'm going to get a job soon. I just know it's a matter of time, you know, no worries. That's something different. And so those are kind of the questions the director has to ask. I do think it should be done in the positive because people that typically pastors, people that would be part of a prayer ministry, people that would be part of a benevolence thing, um, if you ask them, um, you know, how, what's the chances of this getting violent, you're asking them a question in a way they can't think or, or don't want to think. Instead, if you say, is it pretty civil, you know, is the divorce going, is, are they pretty civil or... Or, or are they, you know, you know, what's going on there? And if they say, no, yeah, it's going to be fine, you know, both of them are sad and relieved at the same time, but it's going to work out, you know, or whatever. It's not, it's not going to go bad. Or, you know, same thing with how optimistic, how hopeful are they about their injury or their, what this situation? If they're super optimistic, that tells you that that's not a violent situation or most likely not violent. And then, of course, that safety director, once they get that briefing on a regular basis, can now go to the team and say, hey, this is, these are things that are going on in the church right now. I can't give you any more details because I don't even know what the details are, but at least we have a heads up to be sharp, to be paying attention. So next thing is this, patrol and monitoring the parking lot. We've talked about this in the past. Here this guy was, he was in the parking lot waiting for her to come out with her boyfriend. He was waiting for them. And I like to think that if we were out there in the parking lot and we're approaching people sitting in their cars, you know, yeah, they could be waiting for the nine o'clock thing, but maybe also just say, hey, you know, how's it going? You know, do you need anything? Or, you know, 
Are you looking forward to the next service? Whatever. You know, be super friendly, super nice. There might have been some indications. Would we have seen a gun sitting on the seat? Would we have seen the stress and the other signs on his face and in his body that something was wrong, that maybe we need to call law enforcement? Or who knows what could happen in there, but at least we're we're doing our best to stop it out in the parking lot. We can be, I, I'm telling you, working the parking lot, working the exterior is all about friendliness. Hey, how are you doing? You know, welcome to church, all that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, while you're being friendly and your voice and body language are good and positive, you're observing them, right? You're seeing how they're holding themselves, the way they talk, you know, are they crying? Is there super stress in that face? And if all those things are they there, you know, are you saying, hey, you know, I see you're under, you know, I see you're upset, you know, is there any way that I can help you? You know, what's going on? And, you know, kind of amp up and ask some questions and that's more that verbal de-escalation course we have but <laughs> you get the idea the other thing is of course cameras in the parking lot if you have them make sure that somebody is actually assigned to monitor those things once again 75 percent over 75 percent of all shooting situations at church start in the parking lot so we have to be out there the next thing is this is sometimes these things just happen they happen fast Maybe even the patrol went to work because it was, you know, he could have said, oh, everything's fine. You'd be like, okay, I'm not going to bother you, and you keep going. And then the next thing you know, he's shooting somebody in a car. Um, then the next step that we have, our next response to this, of course, is containment of the incident, right? Too many of these shooters, they start outside, but then they go inside the church. So what does this tell us? Obviously, if there's a shooting outside, you need to go into a lockout, you need to shut those doors and you need to keep people, you need to keep that bad guy from entering the church. Now, in this case, you could see how, how difficult this could be, right? You have people leaving, you have people coming, you have a parking lot probably with people all over the place. You know, there's only so much that you can do. That's like the worst possible time. But do what you can. You know, if you're going to try to evaluate people at the doors and let people run inside, meanwhile everyone else is running in different directions or hiding in their car or cowering in the parking lot, you know, you're just going to have to assess that the best you can. If you can identify the killer, then, you know, obviously you have a lot of freedoms of letting people in the church. However, if you don't know who the killer is, you could see how, you know, how do you, how do you then process who you're going to let in because you want to give them shelter inside the church? Either way, you're going to have to control those doors. Either way, you have to control those doors to watch what's going on. Does the person who's monitoring the parking lot, can they identify who the killer is? Can you figure that a certain amount of people can be let into the church with the church doors in a locked position so if all of a sudden they are walking up to the door, you can shut them? Or are you going out to engage? But anyway, the point that I want to make here is this. You want to contain the incident the best you can. Keep it outside. Don't let it get inside where all those people are, are protected by you. Don't let them get inside where the children's ministry and the children's section has kids in it and stuff like that. Sometimes, as horrible as this sounds, it's a numbers game. And I, I know that's just absolutely horrible, but I'll give you a straw man example. 
if there's two potential victims out in the parking lot, it wouldn't fit in this case, but I'm doing this the easy way. If there's two potential victims in the parking lot and there's 200 potential victims inside the church, you're obviously going to do what you can to save the 200. I know that's absolutely horrible, but it's something that we have to plan. Um, you've probably seen movies where it's the, the submarine is sinking or the boat sinking, right? And they got to shut the door in order to save the ship and save all those lives on the ship. Meanwhile, there's people on the wrong side of the door. So when you're watching those movies, do you scream, shut the door, shut the door, shut the door? Or you're like, oh my goodness, please get out, get out, get out, get out. You know, what's your attitude? Um, anyway, so those are some things you think about um, as far as putting together uh, a prayer and benevolence ministry that's very proactive. This is your, this is both your intelligence gathering and it's also your prevention. And then monitor those parking lots, patrol those parking lots, approach suspicious looking people, uh, approach people who don't look suspicious, be friendly, be nice. Next thing is be prepared to contain incidents outside the church or even inside the church, but outside the church by going into a lockout um, deal. So that's pretty much it for, <laughs> for you. Uh, I just want to let you know that the open enrollment is coming fast because the the new year is coming. Our first um, class is September 11th. This is a good time to start look talking to your leaders, talking to people about what you want to do. And so, if you're looking at joining us this coming year, you know have those conversations now. Other than that, if you like this video, please comment and all that good stuff. You know, let your friends know. Um, like it, share it, all that good stuff because it really helps us out. Plus, you're, we're helping the church, capital C, right? I, I don't know how it, which one for your your view. But anyway, um, you know, it's part about helping the church. This is a way you can help other people in other congregations um, be wiser to take steps to protect their congregations. So please do that. Um, I'm going to correct a name I said last week. It's actually Pastor Bill Taylor. He's been the one that comments on a regular basis. Thank you, Bill. And I know there's some more of you guys that are regularly commenting. Even just a thank you for the information or, or something like that goes a long way in telling the, the YouTube algorithms that were worth watching. Other than that, thank you so much for joining us this week. And hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.